This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Laura Ramos. Laura is the Vice President and Principal Analyst at Forrester Research. Previously, Laura has also served as the Vice President of Industry Marketing at Xerox Corporation. On this episode, Laura takes us through a deep dive of account-based marketing. She takes us through how the category came to exist, what the latest trends are for ABM, and what's next for the category. If you're trying to understand ABM, this is ABM 101 from someone who helped invent the category, and it's a really great resource. A big thanks to Laura for coming on the show. Just one note, this was conducted at the Serious Decisions 2019 Summit, so you'll hear just a little bit of background noise. With all that said, please enjoy this interview with Laura Ramos. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And across from me in our little studio in the center of Serious Decisions. Laura, how's it going? Just fine. Great to be here. Thank you so much. This is a fun interview for us. So we have not had anyone from Forrester on before. You're our first. Ooh. And uh, yeah, big, big, uh, big shoes. And we're really excited to get into a bunch of stuff about ABM, where we've been and where we're going uh-huh. uh, for account-based marketing. But first, how did you get started in your career? Oh, my. We're talking the Stone Ages, I think, at this point. <laughs> I am... Um, Started at Forrester in 2001 when it was Giga Information Group. Wow. So I was like the folks here at Sirius, now that Forrester and Sirius are coming together, part of a big acquisition for Forrester uh, two years later. Uh, and I've been at the company ever since. That's a little bit of a, a mis- of a lie because I left in 2010, went to Xerox for two and a half years. Uh, ran industry marketing for North America, and then did a year in corporate marketing before I came back. So I'm officially a boomerang. <laughs> That's cool. So, and why why the why the stint? Did you kind of want to go back for some yeah, that reason? That is exactly it. Ian. Yeah. You know, I I was uh, talking to people about all this great advice of what they should be doing with their marketing for about four or five years at that point. And I was like, does any of this really matter? Yeah, totally. <laughs> am I, am, am, is the advice that I'm giving actually practical? And I wanted to try out my own advice in, in the working world. So Xerox afforded me that opportunity. I got to manage a great set of industry marketing managers and work hand in hand with the CMO of a, you know, at the time, $22 billion company. It was, it was exciting. Do you think that that's kind of one of the things about being an analyst that is you get a little trepidation about every now and then you're like you know going back to that practitioner roots and 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 being able to dive back into it because i feel like i feel like it's cool that you challenged yourself in that way and said hey i you know i got to practice what i preach let's get back out there yeah. sort of a thing yeah i i think it depends on how much 
time you spend as an analyst with your own customers and with your audience, like CMOs and B2B marketers and, and sales enablement and, and all of that sort of thing. As an analyst, you talk to different people every day. The job is never the same two days in a row. And so you just have to internalize and, and keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And the more you talk and the more you listen and the more you hear what's going on, you're not a practitioner, but you see so much of what practitioners are doing that if you're good at synthesizing all of that together, your advice becomes very actionable and practical. And tell me a little bit about kind of your roles and responsibilities uh, as a VP and principal analyst. So I'm part of a team at Forrester, and at Forrester, our research is organized into two broad categories. Our research analysts either cover technology, IT, those kinds of roles, or we cover marketing and strategy. So our team is focused on B2B, hence this is why we're at Serious Decisions Conference. We're going to become central to whatever the future looks like between Forrester and Sirius, and we're figuring out that integration right now. My role on the team is customer engagement. So I look at what do you need to do as a business-to-business marketer, as a seller, as a sales enablement person, to create engaging experiences that turn into business opportunities and keep customers retained, loyal, and ultimately turned into advocates. That's great. And a succinct rundown as well. <laughs> um, Honestly, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's something that definitely resonates with me. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we've done with, with marketing trends and talking to CMOs, I mean, part of the reason I've said this on the podcast before that we wanted to create the show was a lot of the conversations that we we're having with uh, CMOs and marketing leaders behind the scenes kind of never bubble up to the forefront, right? Like they can't share some of these things, some of these like the hard things that they work on with their peers, or it's not evangelized to the rest of the world at a minimum, you know, and we have listeners, 129 countries. And there's a lot of those things that they need help to distill and to, to ultimately distribute. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the sort of stuff where we just, we felt like there needed to be an additional, um, you know, evangelism of, those, you know, highs and lows. Like, it's not easy to be a CMO. No, um, no, there's it's a lot of challenge. One of the most demanding jobs, it really is. What do you hear from kind of the front lines? Like, what are they telling you? What are CMOs, marketing leaders concerned about? You know, that's a tough question because CMOs at smaller startup companies, CMOs at large enterprises have entirely different things that they're dealing with. And that also changes depending on which industry they're in and where they are in sort of their customer's life cycle. So you hear all kinds of things. But I would say overall, there are some things that keep coming up over and over again. So so the first one is, how do we get closer to our customers? Everybody is concerned that in order to stand out in the crowd, to succeed, to drive revenue, whatever it is, that the customer imperative, getting in front of customers, knowing customers, is, is important. And everybody says, okay, that should be easy. Just do it. But there are so many things that go on inside of large organizations and, you know, just cultural things that I could go on and on. Turf wars, yep. budgeting that really make push the customer to the background. Yeah. And I think the CMO's biggest challenge is through data insights, technology, 
process hiring skills? How do you bring the customer into all of this? And one of those strategies that we are, you know, that is at the forefront is ABM. You, yes. You know, you recently, and it's definitely, you know, <clears throat> we've done a bunch of interviews with uh, ABM vendors. Yes. We've talked to practitioners that are that are doing this um, right now at their companies. You recently wrote a post called ABM Fat or Fabulous, mm-hmm. um, which is great, which uh, we'll link up in the show notes. And I encourage our, our listeners to check out. Can you share what you think, kind of where we were with ABM, where we are now and where we're going? ABM is not a new idea. It's got its start back in 2004 with the IT Services Marketing Association. They now call themselves ITSMA. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I know those people well, and they, and they do fabulous, fabulous work. But in 2004, there wasn't a lot of the technology yeah. and data that we have available to us now as marketers. And so the original idea of ABM was really one-to-one marketing, yeah. right? The, you do market to one particular account and build campaigns and engagement all around just that account. What's changed today is that through technologies like, you know, Engageo, Demandbase, Terminus, all, and they all do different things. Yeah. You're able to take that concept of one-to-one marketing and scale it across multiple accounts in an efficient way. What was the tipping point that made this a category? I know there's a lot of stuff that behind the curtain, but but what was the impetus that kind of made you look at the market and realize, like, this is becoming mature? I have such a cynical answer for you. <laughs> um, it was 2016, and all of a sudden, ABM became like one of the hottest search terms, and everybody Ooh. started talking about it. And we were not talking about it at Forrester. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the vendors had like called us out on that. You're not writing about what we're interested in. And we looked at it and we said, you know, we probably do need to write about it. But what's really happening here? And I have to say our cynical answer to that question was there's a lot of vendors who have just come into the space. Yeah, totally. And they are marketing the heck out of this idea as if it were something new. And what's happened since 2004 and and 2016 is that we raised a whole generation of marketers who were hooked on leads. Mm -hmm. And they lost track of the fact that they need to think about segmentation and targeting and and that you just can't try to get leads out of everybody. That you have to position yourself in the marketplace. That's an absolutely brilliant insight. No, that's exactly right. I mean, because I think that we felt really empowered with the rise of digital. Like we can track all yeah, of this Yeah, yay, like, so let's do it. Yeah, from from first touch uh, to last touch, uh, we can track it all. So then, you know. But I mean, nobody ever asked the question, should we even be tracking this? Is this a, a type of deal we want to have? Yeah, exactly. And what are the targets? Mm-hmm. And are they created equal? What is the prioritization of those? Right. And so I think what ABM has done through this excitement and buzz that was created by a few vendors getting into the market with solutions that really do help in this area is that it's gotten people to think more about who are they really trying to go after, right? And and to think about this more like from the customer's perspective, which is great. Yep. I think the problem still in the market is that a lot of people think, oh, this is just the next generation of leads. 
this is going to be the next magic bullet to help me get more revenue. And, and it's not. In fact, it in some cases slows the process down Yeah. because you've made a decision that you want to go after these ABM accounts. Great. How do you even know they're interested in you? Well, you know, so it's funny you say that. I remember reading Predictable Revenue, you know, a number of years ago and the idea of like that top quadrant of the little like quad chart that that Aaron Ross made. And I forget I forget the exact way that it was positioned, but it was basically like likely to close and like size of the account or whatever it was. And it was basically just like only go after you know, the top stuff. Right. 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 Like, Big accounts that are going to close. Oh, yay. Don't we all want that? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Right. But I think that there was something lost in the shuffle because I think that book came out like know, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But I think there was something lost in the shuffle about kind of like that as like, oh, this is just a sales thing. Like, this is just what your best reps should do. They should just know how to prioritize effort across the likeliness to close. Like, yeah, you shouldn't be working accounts with low probability when you have accounts with high probability. Like you shouldn't email them all equal amounts. Right. And I think that that part of the thing with ABM that, that I think was so fascinating was sales was selling this in certain companies just like this. They just had no formal way of looking at it. Right. And they couldn't track that they were doing this. Right. And then the standardization was just kind of really good VPs that help standardize, but there wasn't really that sort of thing. Do you feel like this part of this was like a bubble up from sales or, 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 Oh yeah, definitely. Like I've, I've had several people over, over the, you know, since we started writing about ABM who've, who've come up to me and I've, I've known for years, they come out of like more of the field marketing or sales side. And they're like, what is this stuff with ABM, Laura? Isn't this just named accounts? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of my, uh, John Coe, who's a writer and uh, consultant, and, and he lives in Arizona now. He's one of these kinds of people. He's like, I don't get it. Because he is like a seller at heart. And he knows that that's just what you did as a seller is understand your accounts inside and out. And I want to take the next the next kind of iteration of that. Okay. Of, you know, we, we've talked about... Uh, a few times recently, um, we just interviewed Adam Blitzer, and he was talking about how you know marketing has two customers: the customer and then the sales team. What's so exciting for marketers about ABM, uh, you know, in my opinion, is like you can give sales tools now. You can deliver content in a in a particular way. You can do one to one across these accounts and deliver all of these things to these accounts and really give them you know, the augmented abilities that they they never had. What are some of those capabilities that you're seeing in the market that ABM, like, gives sales superpowers to, to sell the right way? You know what's funny is, um, and they don't talk about it this way, but a lot of the sales enablement platform companies, sales enablement applications, as yep. Mary Shea talks about it, are really ideally suited to help in the orchestration of what marketing, you know, so, so sales and marketing together have to like pick the accounts. So there's analysis that goes on there. But then after you've sort of picked the accounts and set the strategy, what do you have to do? We have to design the, the engagement plan and execute on that. Well, designing and, and executing on the engagement plan means how does marketing and sales work together? And what are the things they're going to work together with, which is usually content. Mm-hmm. And that's what sales enablement platforms do. Totally. And, and so I recently published a wave on content marketing platforms, mm-hmm. and this was for B2B only. And one of the things that we did was heavily weight the idea of activation. Mm-hmm. What do you do with the content? 
to make sure the sellers are getting the right content, but also that they're using it in front of customers. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, the two sales enablement platforms, or maybe not so surprisingly, who participated in that wave did quite well. See, that's really interesting. We just had Kurt from 3D Systems, and we were talking about you know, revenue operations and how sales enablement was part of the release. Right. So like this is, I mean, and this was something that he said on the podcast. He was like, this was kind of the surprise that this was added, like that this is, that this is part of this. And it kind of seems like a no brainer to me, you know, not that my opinion is, is, is worth anything in the market, but, but it seemed like it is a no brainer to me because at the end of the day, it's like, if you're, you know, doing consultative selling and, the person that you're selling to is getting all these great resources from content right. marketing. Right. Uh, and the salesperson doesn't know that information or doesn't have additional information to add value. Like you're kind of putting them at a huge disadvantage because they're not as informed as the person they're selling to. Right. And that's not account-based marketing. Yeah. What account-based marketing is, is having that exact same scenario. But when the content is getting to the prospect or customer from marketing, it almost looks like it's coming from the seller directly. Exactly. So that the seller is seen as the key touch point in those conversations, digital or otherwise. And that the seller does know that this is what not only marketing's giving them, but maybe marketing's put a bunch of content on the website or, you know, that kind of some kind of landing page or or content experience. Things like like Uber Flip and Follows are yep. doing. And that the seller then knows these are the things that they were looking at as they were, you know, browsing and binging through all that content. And it and it empowers the salesperson to be able to reach back out with value add opportunities. Exactly. Say, hey, check this out. Hey, I thought you'd be interested in this. Right. Like, hey, when we talked, you know, a couple months ago, you mentioned that this was, you know, a priority and we just we just created this guide. Like, you know, you should check it out. And it comes from both angles, right? It comes from both angles. One of the th- habits that we talk about being in as an account-based marketing team is that you need your sellers to be helpful and human. Yeah, that's Not great. hungry. Oh, that's great. <laughs> because I think that the technology, like if you think about it, makes it so easy to send an email or to do this. I recently did a study where we looked at 60 business-to-business websites, and I was struck by how many times I went on a website and the little chat bot would pop up immediately and want to, do you need anything? I'm like, God, that's so annoying. I'm just browsing. I'm just looking. Thank you. And, and so we need to kind of step back and say, how do we deliver value first, free, before we then get into that conversation about how can we help you? How do you think content will ultimately play into AVM? And, you know, you mentioned Uber Flip, which is behind us in yeah. the, in the in, it's about <laughs> in their 20, pink booth. Yeah, <laughs> 25 feet away. And we interviewed Randy uh, yeah. on the podcast. And it was great. And I, I'm just, I mean, as a media company, we're obviously extremely excited about content. But how do you think that this plays in, into ABM strategies for companies? Oh, it's huge. We did a survey last year and we're finishing a similar survey right now. It's still in the field. So if any of your listeners want to go online and find it and take it, that would be great. Check my Twitter feed to do that. Sorry for the advertisement. Oh, no, that's great. We'll, we'll, link, we'll link it up in <laughs> the show notes. But here's the deal. Yeah. Um, last year, the two things that the survey respondents said were most important to successful ABM strategy was their ability to do data and insights and their ability to personalize the content. Mm-hmm. And then they also said that those were the two areas that they were most challenged to take care of. Wow. 
That's that's a really good nugget. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll link that. We'll uh, and we'll send that out in our in our marketing okay. trends newsletter awesome. as well. Yeah. So is ABM a fad or is it fabulous? <laughs> um, it's fabulous because essentially what it does is whether you you know do rigorous ABM and your marketing to a specific account or whether it just makes you better at thinking about your customer and segmenting and having the purpose of what you do in marketing and sales is become created in a relationship to engage better. That's what's going to make us better as sellers and marketers is creating early on from sort of the first touch, those unique differentiated customer experiences that make those customers trust us and, and want to uh, stay with us. Are there any other things or little insights that you've you've taken away from Sirius this year? Um, I don't know how many how many serious decisions you've you've been to in the past, but what made this one unique? What were the specific things that you saw, or maybe cutting edge stuff that you noticed? This is my first serious decisions. Mm. I have to Me say, too. being at Forrester, this was a competitive yeah, that's true. <laughs> conference. Yeah. And I just could never figure out a way of nicely getting in here and not being asked to leave once that. I showed up. This is an amazing conference. It, from the moment I walked on the show floor and saw all the companies represented here, this is exactly what B2B marketers need, need to be talking to. And then I start walking around and I run into so many people that I've known over the years. So my peeps are here, too. Yeah. And it's just I, the energy, what Sirius is capable of pulling off here goes far and beyond anything that Forrester has done. I am both amazingly envious of what they're doing here and amazingly proud that this is a, now part of our organization. As far as the content goes, the, the one that is like struck me and I uh, thought was the most amazing Serious Decisions keynote presentation was the one that Lisa Nakano and Amy Bills did on stage yesterday where they talked about how you have the demand unit as being the primary thing to focus on in demand generation and building pipeline. But after the deal closes, what happens? And what happens is now you have to focus on the retention unit. Yeah, absolutely. The unit of people, they're going to make sure that what they bought, what you sold them is going to be used successfully in that organization and add value. That is a concept that we've been working on, like we thought about back in 2008. And Sirius just really crystallized a fabulous way of thinking about it. And, and I think it's great because I think marketers are too stuck on sort of like demand generation, demand generation, ABM. And where they really need to focus is on the entire customer lifecycle. Because customers spend the majority of their lifetime post-sale. And, and they just offered a really great model for thinking about how to maintain that. Yeah, I mean, the way we think about it is, uh, you know, sales makes the promise and, uh, and then you have to keep it, right? Yeah. And one, one, it's hard to keep promises. And sometimes. whose job is it to keep it, really? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, you know, a lot of different parts of the company participate in that keeping of the promise. But the one organization that should set the strategy for how you keep that promise is marketing. I totally agree. Because they know how to communicate. They know how to tell stories 
and they benefit the most when those customers turn into advocates and help to share your story. Yeah, and that's a critical point. You know, we talked to Karen Steele about this, the CMO of Lean Data, who was absolutely brilliant. And she was talking about, you know, you know, advisories and advocacy and all of these pieces um, and how important they are, you know, going forward. Like that is customer lifecycle stuff. I mean, yes. that's, you're talking about years and years of engagement, right? Yes. So if you're thinking about an advisory board, if you're thinking about turning people into advocates, I mean, you're thinking literally five years out. Yes. You know? But there's lots of steps that you need to take to get there. Yeah, like, exactly. Right? I mean, you're thinking five years out in terms of the benefit that comes from having the relationships and how long they could be advocates for you. Right away, though, I think advocacy starts at the moment that the contract signed. Yeah. Like you want to get them to their first successful event. Like, yay, you've got it installed and you've got 20 people trained on it and they're all using it. That's the time to ask them to like give a reference or a testimonial or do a review. And those then become assets that marketing can use to show other people what we say we do, we actually deliver on. Yeah. And I think, too, that not being, you know, dogmatic about it, because I think that's part of the thing, like, number one, who creates the onboarding road roadmap? And number two, who's the person who's carrying this out? And if they carry it out like, hey, you, <laughs> it's stage 18, you need to give us a review or like, please give us a review. And the person's like, hold on, we're like, we're not ready for that yet. Like, just take a step back. Like, being having the nuance to be able to do that, that can't be, you know, just a drip campaign that right. has to have human touch. Exactly. And the things that people respond to the most from that human touch are appreciation. Yeah. <laughs> the opportunity to have unique experiences as sort of a thank you for yeah. doing this and the ability to share their knowledge, experience and advice. And if you can create your advocacy program around delivering those kinds of valuable interactions with customers, that's what's going to make them feel the value and want to reciprocate by doing things like speaking at your conference, yeah. being on your customer advisory board, giving you a case study, yeah. any of those things. Laura, I know you are very busy and we I'm sure you need to get back on the floor with many people to see and uh, and hands to shake here. But we're just really excited that you could you could stop by. Anything else that, that you think uh, our listeners would love to hear? You know, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity. It's to me, it's been special to be sort of the inaugural Forrester person yeah, with your just, podcast. It was awesome. Any, I mean, we should absolutely anytime. We'd love to have you back. There's so many things that that you see that I think you know our listeners would love to hear about. And I just this was a really insightful conversation. I just, you know, I just wish. I guess the final thing would be is we could just take some of the excitement and the buzz that's happening here at Serious Decision Summit. And, and share it with other B2B marketers and sales enablement and seller persons so that, you know, they, they can understand that this is a really hot space. There's a lot of great things going on and and real value will come out of this in your company. Yeah, and we'll do our best to, to advocate it. Where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter uh, as Laura at Laura Ramos. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and also at Forrester at L Ramos at Forrester.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. 
Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.